And friends, we turn in our Bibles once again to the book of Daniel, and we've been um, on this series in Daniel for a few weeks now. Last week we looked at Daniel chapter 3, and this morning we're going to look at that chapter one more time. It's a little unfinished business that we have, I guess, with, uh, with Daniel 3. There's a lot here, and, uh, and so I just wanted to devote a little more time to it today. This morning we'll beginning, or we'll be beginning uh, with verse 16, so kind of in the middle of the account. If you weren't here last week, um, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, all the Jewish exiles, or at least a part of those exiles, are there in country. And um, the king has made a demand that he has set up a statue and everyone must bow down and worship uh, that statue. And that presents a bit of a problem for worshipers of uh, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel. And so three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are, are about to say, um, no, we're not going to do that. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to pick it up with verse 16. There's kind of an important question of, uh, in verse 15 where the king says to them, look, if I throw you in my fiery furnace, who's going to rescue you or deliver you from that? And this is where we pick up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him 
and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of our God. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, my first memories of the book of Daniel, I think, probably come from vacation Bible school. And I remember hearing these uh, incredible stories of faith, the faith of these young men facing, you know, blazing furnaces and dens of lions, a crazed king, and probably a lot like you, I wanted to be just, just like them. I mean, I wanted to jump into the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I wanted to dare to be a Daniel just like all of them. I think there's probably a little of that in, in all of us, or at least there was at one time. Daring to stand up for what's right, daring to beat the odds, Trusting in God to the extreme, it's good stuff. It's all good stuff, but sometimes we can approach stories like this one with what's been called uh, the lottery mindset. The lottery mindset. The lottery mindset is when, is when you live for big victories, right, when you want to win that whole jackpot all at once, right, I've got the millions right in my hand at this time. Contrast that with more of a compound interest mentality, okay, that mindset that's focused on small, consistent steps toward victory. You put a little money aside every week, There's interest, and it grows slowly, it grows slowly, and by the time you retire, you've got a nice little nest egg. It's two very different ways of looking at life, getting it all at once, all of life's problems solved in one fell swoop. It's kind of the the home run approach to baseball, right? Baseball is all about home runs rather than it's about every pitch of every at-bat, which can be awfully slow and a little bit boring. But friends, I think the Christian life is more about the compound interest mentality than it is about the lottery. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at this idea of life in the flames. Life in the flames. And I want to look at it from three perspectives today. Obedience in the flames, faith in the flames, and God in the flames. Obedience, faith, and God in the flames in the flames. Let's begin with obedience. Obedience in the flames. The lottery mindset sort of pictures ourselves standing there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right at the door of that furnace. We can feel the heat on our faces, and yet we still refuse to worship the king and to worship his idols. 
Most of us, like I said, at one time or another have dreamed of being in that position and of being faithful to our God, right? It's often a different story, but the outcome is the same. How often have we said things like, you know, if, if ever God were to call me to be a missionary across the world, I would go. I would, I would be there. I would do that if I were called. And if I were called to take a stand like, like Martin Luther and pound 95 theses on the door of the church, alienate my whole community, alienate the whole church that I've been a part of my whole life, that's what I would do. I would stand up. I would stand firm. And if I were facing forced segregation and every part of society around me, you know, I would be like Rosa Parks. I would sit in the front seat of that bus and I would not give up my space to anyone. I would draw a line. I would set a limit and I would say, I'm going no further than this. I think many of us have sort of these pictures of ourselves in which we, we manifest this um, heroic obedience in the darkest of times, sacrificial obedience, where we're willing to sacrifice our very lives for the cause, our very lives for the sake of God's will. Just like Daniel, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's me. And yet, friends, how much of that is more of a lottery mindset than it is the mind of Christ? Ask yourself that sometime. How much of that is more of a lottery mind than a mind of Christ? Think of it this way. If, if you're learning to ski, okay, snow ski, what do you do? Do you jump on the chairlift and go all the way to the top of the highest mountain you can find and wing it? I hope not. I mean, you start on what's called the bunny hill, right? And yes, it's a funny name, especially if you're an adult. You don't want to be on the bunny hill with all these little kids. But that's where you have to start. You start slow. You start at the beginning. You start small. It's kind of like running a marathon. You don't just walk out the back door and run 26 miles, do you? There's a lot of practice involved. There's a lot of early mornings getting yourself up out of bed and hitting the streets. And you work your way up. One mile, two miles, four miles, and you keep going until you finally, finally get there. Obedience works in the same way. Big obedience comes in small pieces. You don't start by diving into furnaces. You start small. And friends, if you're not working at the small obediences, the small things, then do not kid yourselves. You're not going to obey God in the big things. If you don't do the small things, you're not going to jump into the furnace one day. It's just not going to happen. Remember what Jesus says when he calls people to follow him. It's good for us to reflect on that this morning, right? What does Jesus say? He says, take up your cross and follow me. In fact, in one of the Gospels, he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. In other words, <clears throat> following Jesus involves a daily, a repetitive, putting yourself to death, 
sacrificing yourself and living for him. It's a daily sacrifice. It's habitual. It's routine. It takes practice. It takes repetition. You have to crawl before you can run. It's not just one big, magnificent sacrifice. It's not just one big moment. It's every moment of every day. Jesus says, put yourself to death and live for me. It's about the small things, the training wheels. It's about obeying your parents. Oh, boring. Who does that anymore? Obey your parents. Friends, if you don't learn that one, don't think you're going to jump into the furnace. It's about telling the truth. Little things, big things. It's not manipulating others to do things you want them to do. It's about telling it like it is. It's about respecting people, the people around you, all the people. The people you do respect naturally and the people you don't. It's about setting limits for yourself, for your children. I will go this far and no further. It's about little things like, like church attendance, right? I can say this this morning. We've got pretty good church attendance here. But church attendance, a small thing like that, involves sacrifice, doesn't it? It involves a sacrifice every Sunday. It means putting your other activities on hold, all the activities that we do throughout the week, and those are good activities, fun activities, they're family activities, and that's hard just to set that stuff all aside. And it's hard when God's people, you know, they only gather once a week, and they gather at the same time every week and in the same place. Why can't the church be more like the the world, right? Be more flexible. I mean, even work. I don't even have to go to work on set hours anymore. I can work from home whenever I feel like it, work it around my schedule. Why can't I do that with worship? But friends, don't kid yourselves. If you don't train yourself in the small obediences of life, the big obedience will not follow. It will not come. Don't fantasize about standing in the door of this furnace with these three young men and jumping in. If you're not willing to do the little things where Jesus says, I want you to put yourself second. I want you to pick up your cross in this part of your life. In other words, Jesus calls us to obedience, friends, not just in the big furnaces of life, but in our daily walks with God. Obedience in the flames begins with obedience in the embers. Second, let's talk about faith in the flames for a moment. A lot of people, when we read this story, we conclude that God's deliverance works in correlation with our faith. In other words, if we have big faith, then God will deliver us in big ways. But when we adopt that kind of thinking, the opposite of that is true. The flip side of the coin is true as well, and that is if God doesn't deliver us, then our faith must not have been big enough. But once again, let's, let's try not to think in terms of the lottery. 
The point of this story is not the size of your faith. It's the size of your God. Remember what Jesus said, again, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, or if you have the faith of a little child, if you have pint-sized faith, that's, that's enough. Why? Because we have a big God. See, when we read this story, we quickly, we quickly assign big faith to these three boys. They must have had big faith. But what was the object of their faith? What was their faith focused on? Think about that. What was the object of their faith? Was it God's deliverance? Were they certain that God would indeed save them? That if they were thrown into the furnace, you know, God would do something to save them? Or were they simply certain that God was really God? The word deliverance is a, is a key word in this story. In verse 15, Nebuchadnezzar uses it. He says, if I throw you into my furnace, what God is going to deliver you? Then in verse 17, the boys respond, well, God, our God is able to deliver us. And then in verse 28, you have Nebuchadnezzar actually conceding to that, and he admits that the boys God actually has indeed delivered them. And so we often conclude, well, they had faith that God was able... And so God did, right? They had faith that God was able to do this, and because they had that kind of faith, God did it, which leaves us again with that opposite truth, that if God doesn't save us, that means either God isn't able, or He's not interested, or our faith is just inadequate and weak. But again, friends, that's not the Bible's logic. That's Nebuchadnezzar's logic. I mean, think about the people who first read this story or who first heard this story. Okay? They would have been fellow exiles in Babylon. And then just a little bit later, they would have been people who were under the thumb of another dictator, a Greek dictator called, I always call him Antiochus Epiphanes, some Antiochus is another way of pronouncing it, but he was famous for his brutal persecution of the Jews. I mean, killing families, killing parents in front of the children, children in front of the parents, goes on and on and on and on. In other words, the people who heard these stories and read them first, they read about how God saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. But at the very same time, they knew people their neighbors, people in their own families, in their own synagogues who had not been saved, who had died in the flames, who had had their heads cut off, all of those sorts of things. They knew people that God did not save. And they had to weigh those kinds of things. Yes, God is able to save. Yes, He saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but He doesn't always save. He doesn't save everyone point is not if you have great faith, God will save you. What we can't miss here are these three little words in verse 18, but if not. But if not. Our God can save us, O King. Our God is able to save us, but 
even if he doesn't. But if not, we are not going to worship your image. Friends, the faith at work here is not a certainty in God's circumstantial will. In other words, it's not a certainty that God is going to act in a particular way in this circumstance. These boys are not, you know, binding the fires of the furnace. They're not calling down deliverance from God. The faith that they display here is simply a certainty in God's revealed will. You shall have no other gods before me. That's it. The first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. That's what they were certain about. See, friends, faith is not an act on our part that God then rewards. Faith is a gift. It's the gift of God by which we take hold of God, by which we take hold of His actions on our behalf, by which we take hold of His grace. It's a gift. Someone once said that the biggest miracle in this story is not God saving these boys from the furnace. The biggest miracle is the gift of faith that says, King, we don't care what you do to us. We will not bow down to your image. That's the biggest miracle. The gift of faith. At the same time, that's not extraordinary faith, is it? That's not lottery kind of faith. Rather, that's ordinary faith. That's, that's the kind of faith that's common to all of us. It's what the catechism, our catechism describes. It says true faith is what? It's a knowledge and a conviction that everything God reveals in His Word is true. It simply believes that it's true. And it's also a deep rooted assurance in my gut created in me by the Holy Spirit. It's not manufactured by me. It's created in me by the Holy Spirit. It's a gift, this gift of assurance that yes, this is true. I know it. This gift of faith, friends, common ordinary faith, this will lead you and it will lead me to many furnace doors. And like Martin Luther, when you get there, all you can say is, here I stand, I can do no other. I can do no other. True faith is different than big faith. It's not sure of itself. It's sure of God, that He is the only God deserving of our worship. That's true faith.
He is the only God deserving of our worship. Which leads to the third point, God in the flames. Okay, God in the flames. And it starts with just, I guess, the simple question, who is this fourth person in the furnace? Who is this fourth person in the furnace? And we could go into the whole thing, friends, about about this being an angel, and I could go into all the technicalities there. I'm just going to say, okay, um, we've got some hints here. And I love the way Old Testament narratives do this because the hints actually come, um, come out of the mouth of this pagan king, this polytheist, this pluralist. What does he say? In verse 25, this fourth man looks like a son of the gods. In verse 28, he says, God sent his angel, right? But then he also says in verse 29, he says, no other God can save in this way. No other God can save in this way. And we have to be very careful what we, you know, glean from the mouth of a, of a polytheist. Um, but let's just remember, even a broken clock can be right twice a day. And I think Nebuchadnezzar is onto something here. We're just going to say it. Okay, this fourth person in the fire is God himself. It's the son of God. Not a son of the gods, but it's the son of of God. Old Testament form, he's right here in the furnace. But what I want to focus on is that line, no other God can save in this way. This text is not about God's ability to save. It's not about his power to save. It's about his methods of saving. No other God can save in this way. How do other gods save? Well, other gods stand above the fire and they reach down and they sort of, you know, pluck their servants right out of the fire and everything is hunky-dory and they don't even get singed on their hands. That's how other gods save. Not ours. Our God is a God who gets into the fire with us. Our God is a God who suffers the burns. Our God is a God who gets into the fire. He walks with us. He burns. We come out of the fire claiming all of his promises that not a hair on my head fell without his knowledge. Not a hair on my head was singed My robes came out not even smelling like flames, but instead I bore the robe of Jesus Christ's righteousness. His robes burned up. No other God can save in this way. Commentators will point, and I think rightly, to Matthew chapter 13 in this context. So this passage sort of points ahead to what Jesus will later say. Jesus there in Matthew 13 explains the parable of the weeds and he says to his disciples that at the end of time, 
All of the weeds are going to be pulled up right out of the fields and they'll be thrown into what? Into the fiery furnace. And here, of course, the fiery furnace is the wrath of God. God's fiery furnace on all of man's injustice to our fellow human beings. What did we profess this morning? Uh, We all stood up and we professed the words of the Apostles' Creed. And we said, actually, our words were a little different this morning. We said that Jesus descended to the dead. Usually we say Jesus descended to hell. In other words, Jesus went into that fiery furnace for us so that we would not have to be destroyed by it. Ultimately, that's what this text points to. The fact that we deserve the fire of God's judgment, each and every one of us. But we have a Savior, we have a God who instead comes into that fire with us and bears it for us. But, friends, I don't want you to leave here this morning thinking that's the only message here. Because in its own way, I think that's kind of the lottery view of this text. And I think there's another message here, and that's sort of the compounding interest message. Who is it that notices this fourth person in the fire who makes such a big deal out of it? It's Nebuchadnezzar. Do you notice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't, they don't even seem to mention it. It's, it's like it's no big deal to them. It's almost as if they're used to this fourth person being with them all the time, every day. And friends, that's what I want to make sure that you see. That the Christian faith is not all about the lottery. It's not all about the end. The end is really important. But there's more to it. And that is that every furnace that we face in life, every day, every morning we wake up and we wonder, what is today going to bring? We can be assured that that fourth man is walking with us. Every day. Students, when you go walking down the hall in high school this week and you can just feel the eyes on you, she's a Christian. You need to know that that fourth person is walking with you. That you can stand firm because he is with you. We all need to know that, friends. Every time you're offered a a set of Packer tickets for a Sunday game and your your boss kind of laughs and thinks you're weird because you say, I'm, I'm going to church on Sunday. You need to know that the fourth person is with you. Every time you set a limit 
and say, I will not go farther than this. Here I take my stand. You need to know the fourth person is with you in that furnace. He will always be to the very end. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord Jesus, as we believe you walked with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we pray and we trust that you will walk with us too. Give us that gift of faith that you are the only God deserving of our worship. And we will not bow our knees to any other God, no matter what. Give us that faith, that gift, and be with us in all the furnaces we will face. Amen.